0: Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. And today, we're talking about... Battletech.
1: You're giving me a critical hit right in the nostalgia. Oof, yeah.
0: We're, We're gonna be discussing a game that's been around for a long time. Uh... Has relatively cheap miniatures, incredibly deep lore, and a rules system that is so, so very finicky and so very table based. So many tables. It's very crunchy. Uh, it also has a less crunchy, more modeled version that we haven't played yet, but I've seen in action that looks uh, interesting. It just doesn't appeal to me quite the same way.
1: If you listen to me talk about Advanced Squad Leader and how much I love Hex Encounter stuff and you somehow fell into that madness too, uh, you'll probably like Battletech.
0: Precisely. But uh, I suppose we should introduce ourselves. I'm the host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him. And I am joined by a mech warrior from the distant Canopus uh, planetary system.
1: I'm the other one. My name's Ed. Uh, My pronouns are they and them. Um, come to Canopus. Come, uh, celebrate pride in our casinos. Um, we don't have much of a mech army. We we, we rely mostly on conventional arms and infantry because our manufacturing base is not that great.
0: I mean, you also rely on being way the fuck out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, much like Vegas, we are in the middle
0: of nowhere. You're out in the deep periphery. Um... But before we get into Battletech, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about what we've done in our last week in hobby. Uh, Ed, why don't you go first? Because I've had kind of an off week.
1: What? Me? First? Heresy. Um, It's been kind of an off and on week. Uh, Work has been really busy, really busy with stuff here at home. So most of it has been focused on getting my... Blood Bowl line elves finished. They're kind of like the bulk of the team. Everything else uh, probably go a lot faster. Hopefully. Um, they they look okay. Um, they, the color scheme that I picked out seems befitting a dark elf army and looks reasonably close to what I had used in middle school for my middle school dark elves. Um, for a football team, though, they seem a bit dark, Uh, usually football teams have bright, obnoxious colors. Unless you're the Browns.
0: (laughs) Oh, Cleveland.
1: Um, I do have some numbers that I'm going to put on the players, and the numbers are going to be yellow with a white border, so that might bring just a little bit of pop. Um, I probably could have made the skin a bit lighter. It blends a bit too much into the armor, but at this point, I'm so far, deep in that I'm not really wanting to futz with it too much. I just want it to be done. Um, did a little bit of work on Battletech, trying to get those squared away. Um, playing a lot of Dark Souls. And then we played Spelljammer uh, this last weekend. Found a pirate cove in space.
0: I mean, it's on a
1: planet. Uh, I got a musket, um, and I accidentally, I had a, uh, accidental discharge as I was trying to figure out how the musket worked, so that was kind of funny.
0: Uh, we fought some skeletons.
1: We tried to lie to a ghost, um, but the ghost understood common, so he under he heard us when we were saying that we should just lie and say we're not there to loot
0: the ship. I mean, yeah, I, I, I should have guessed that the ghost understood common, because everyone understands common. <laughs> we'll have to determine what languages we should use to lie to things I, I speak celestial and draconic do you speak either of those? no well then I guess we're just going to have to lie in common then
1: I feel like plasmoids need some kind of racial language but I don't know what that would be Goo. amoebas generally don't talk
0: do you speak goo? It's just
1: a bunch of gurgling sounds
0: yeah. Mm.
1: Um. Yeah, I don't really think I did a whole lot else, much hobby related that I could think of. I did start reading the, uh, queer BattleTech story packet that you sent me, and joined the queer BattleTech Discord. I have to send them a questionnaire of things to prove that I'm not some kind of right wing weirdo trying to sneak into the forum.
0: Yeah, I got to weed out the weird grognides.
1: Yep. I'm going to be the weird anti-fascist Grognard.
0: Yay. Yay! Those are the ones that are solid. Yay! Yay!
1: So it's it's been kind of hit or miss. This next week will probably be about the same.
0: Yeah. Uh, my weekend hobby was, like I said, kind of a miss. My uh, Starfinder campaign is on hiatus. My uh, Lancer campaign took a week off due to scheduling conflicts. Um, and so I just had the Spelljammer game, which we just mentioned, uh, we, where we landed on the planet, found the wreckage of a, the crashed ship that we were looking for. There were some skeletons and some shadows, which we dispatched easily and then conversed with a ghost. And then there was another party of adventurers looking for the same thing. Uh, but we agreed with them to split the ship. They'd get the front half and we'd get the back half. Uh, which works because we knew that...
1: Guess where the treasure was. The treasure, was.
0: we believe, is in the captain's quarters, which is in the back half of the ship. Um, I also suggested that we split it and they get the outside and we get the inside, but that didn't go over as well.
1: No, couldn't couldn't persuade them on that one. Yeah,
0: um, And the route to the cave full of skeletons that is below the ship uh, starts in the back half, so that's clearly ours. <laughs> um we'll see Always. if they agree to that when we come back up with whatever treasures we dig out of this cove.
1: I'm I'm sensing a uh, a quantum cavern feeling here. I can just feel it in the universe.
0: That might be the case. They're, that the the entrance there might be a little quantumy. Uh
1: ah. quantum tunneling. We've officially hit the end of the universe. Oh yes, yeah,
0: it's, qu- it's all quantum tunneling punches right through the hull of that ship uh and I also wrote a one page RPG
1: uh that's right you sent that to me sorry I forgot to give you feedback I'll have to do that this week yes
0: it's called the devil and the deep blue sea and it'll be on our website uh nullcountry.com
1: uh hey we have a website
0: yeah we've had a website for as long as we've had this podcast
1: (laughs) I'm going to pretend I'm just not now learning this. Yeah, if you ever
0: want to post, like, a blog or something on there, let me know and I'll just put that up. (laughs) Or, like, pictures of your miniatures and stuff. I can, like, make a gallery for that if you want. I'm a competent creator. Um, I mean, there are, like, three blogs on there and I did them in... basically the year before last, like, when we just started the podcast. So I'm also a competent creator.
1: Yay!
0: Yay! but the concept of the game is that the players are the crew of a ship in hell. Cool. Uh, we're all demons uh, crewing a hellish ship. And Lucifer himself has come down to, like, take a journey or do an inspection or just just something. He He's on board the ship and he's making demands. Um, and it is up to you to... Resolve this. Uh, Each demon... Well, each... There is a chart to determine the name, type, and flaw of the vessel you're on. Uh, Ships can range from being, like... tugs to submarines to cruise ships to oil tankers to whaling vessels. Um, Flaws include things like leaky hull or... um, Sandbar magnet, or um, just cramped quarters, or n- no galley, so you can't have food on it, which is awkward.
1: I feel like this is—I feel like this is a situation where the crew just needs to go full Potemkin and just revolt against the devil.
0: I mean, you could certainly try. Uh, each crewman member has a has six stats, which range from zero to three and that determines how many dice you roll when attempting a check with those stats. Um, The stats are... I'm I'm pulling up my copy right now. Uh, Navigation, seamanship, um, lying,
1: navigation, irrigation,
0: lying, scheming, coercion, and sycophoncy um cuz really
1: yeah that that all sounds like hell yeah stuff.
0: you really your goal is to get in good with the devil right more so than it is to uh be be helpful with your crew me- with the other crew members
1: um because nothing ever goes wrong when you try and get in good with the devil i mean
0: you're already a demon so it's not going to get much worse uh every demon play every player character also has a sin from the Classic 7, uh, Lust, Gluttony, Greed, Sloth, Wrath, Envy, Pride. Uh, no two demons on a crew may have the same one. When attempting a challenge where your sin would help, you get to roll an extra die. When attempting a challenge that requires you to, roll, to act against your sin, you roll two fewer dice. Uh, if that would cause you to roll zero or a negative dice, you automatically fail.
1: No sinning for you. Yeah,
0: well, no, you want to sin if you're, if the skill helps you, if 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 being prideful helps with your lying or whatever, then you get a bonus die. If your sin is pride and you try to lie and claim that you weren't involved with the thing, you're gonna take less dice. Um. And then there's a random chart for, like, appearance. you For, like, what your body, head, and special weird ability as a demon are. And those can also add or reduce dice depending on, like, the player argument and the uh, DM. D- demon master argument.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, the goal is to roll a handful of dice and then match... And then add them together and match the difficulty. Um... An easy would be a difficulty of 5. A hellish would be difficulty 16. Um, Any die that rolls a 1 is automatically discarded because that is the devil's due. (laughs) And if you roll 3 dice that come up with 6s, that is the number of the beast. And Lucifer is very impressed by your work and offers you a job on his personal staff. Nice. Uh, so that that's basically one way to win. Is, is, well, I mean, is get the job on Lucifer's staff and then survive to the end of the game. Because <laughs> everybody else might want to take you out now that you have a job. So yeah, it's a uh, real simple. Uh, I think it's, I think it should, would be really fun to play and also would be really fun to play in person. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's so weird and funky. Yeah, son. And entirely theater of the mind.
1: <laughs> on a uh, on a tertiary hobby week moment, uh, I'm currently painting my Blood Bowl team manager who is bathing in a cauldron of blood, and I'm using the Citadel technical paint, Blood for the Blood God, and... Let me tell you, as somebody who uh, has a tendency to pass out at the sight of blood, this looks a bit too real uh, for comfort. Mm, Yeah, you got to be careful. (laughs) So if I suddenly
0: disappear, you know why. You got to be careful because it'll coagulate on you if you leave it open.
1: I mean, it looks pretty real. It's given me the ick just looking at it. But, I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to do with this model anyway. So...
0: The... the
1: it's working. With a
0: cauldron full of bodily <laughs> fluids that she's in. Is that the real blood bowl?
1: Uh, Is a cauldron a bowl? Yes. Just a big one? Then yes, this is the true blood the bowl. The
0: ultimate <laughs> blood bowl. All right. So that's our weekend hobby. Um, it's yeah, creative yeah. and bloody, apparently. So let's talk battle tech. Battle tech is a you know classic uh wargaming and military science fiction franchise it was originally launched by the Fafsa F A S A corporation in 1984
1: uh, I still them owe, I still owe them money for my student loans No that
0: that's a different group. <laughs> the, this one is gone and can no longer take your money.
1: Um why why not? I want to give them my money It's BattleTech.
0: Yes. Well, you give it to the people who bought the rights to it later. Uh, So they originally started Battletech in 1984, although at the time it was called Battle Droids. Um, Oh yeah, I
1: forgot it had a different name. It
0: was Hex and like Standy miniatures, because they didn't have metal or plastic miniatures yet.
1: Hey man, gotta start Um, somewhere.
0: With a bunch of random artwork that they licensed from other people, because they didn't want to have in-house designers. They didn't have the money for it yet. Uh, They were sci-fi wargaming nerds who came from, uh, like, 1980s wargaming background. So they were used to, like, licensing the artwork for existing military units and such to try and, you know, create your game. Or, like, World War II uh, models and stuff. Um, However, they almost immediately got a cease and desist from Lucasfilm. ...who claimed the word droids was trademarked. Uh, And
1: I believe it still is?
0: Uh, Yeah, I don't know how well it's protected anymore. Um,
1: Because I know Android uh, phones, they had to get a license agreement from Lucasfilm for that. Yeah. Uh,
0: But also, I think there was like a cartoon... they, They only made a couple of them, but there was like a droids cartoon... Uh, Starring Uh, C-3PO and R2-D2. I think I watched some of it. It was bad. uh, Because it was just 80s animation. It was in between some of the Star Wars movies. Not good. But, um, yeah. So they quickly changed the name to Battle Tech for all future printings. And that has stuck pretty well. Um, It did mean that they changed the name of the giant robots from droids to mechs. But I think everyone agrees that that's a better usage of the word.
1: Probably. I mean, droid is a cool word, but droid implies a like, fully self-aware functioning robot, not something that you're piloting, at least to me.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the general concept of the game, which has, while it's on like a f- more additions, most of the core rules have remained... Pretty much the same. Um,
1: it plays like a game from the 80s. It
0: does. It really does. Uh, movement is hex. The mechs that you move around the field have movement points, which allow them to move at various speeds through materials. The hexes have different abilities. It costs, uh, costs speed to turn. And then there's all the whole range of modifiers that you have to add up and then roll 2d6 and try to beat to shoot at someone. And then there is a whole bunch of, like, tracking damage when you actually hit someone.
1: Yeah, that's basically 80s wargaming in a nutshell. Yeah,
0: it, it's very, very old school and, I mean, fairly consistent. Uh, it has many, many rulebooks available. Uh, some are out of print, but mostly you can get them as PDFs these days, which solves that issue. Yay! Um, And it has many, many models made for it. Um, So before we dig in, I think, to, like, the individual mechs and what they are, I think it's worth talking about the lore, which... um, Uh,
1: Welcome to the six-hour surprise Battletech episode. No,
0: I will tell you, if you want the six-hour lecture on Battletech history, go to YouTube and type in Techs Talks Battletech. And you can listen to a Texan with like the deepest, graveliest voice basically go full history professor. Um, nice. And explain some of the key turning points in the history of Battletech in multi part, multi hour episodes.
1: I mean, that's probably what I need because considering I've been familiar with Battletech since about fourth grade, uh, looking into the lore, I'm still like, I have no idea what's going on, and I have no idea where to start. Yes,
0: I highly recommend Texas videos. Um, it, it is presented as an in-universe history lesson.
1: Nice. Also
0: kind of tongue-in-cheek in-universe history lesson, but that fits the setting just, just as well. Um, the... Fictional history covers everything from about the mid-20th... End of the 20th century to about the mid-32nd century. Um... Most things... Most of the, like, gameplay happens between the, like, 3025 and 3200-ish. Um... With a few different eras available in there. Um... It's worth, I think, probably just going over the big history. So, the BattleTech timeline did not foresee the collapse of the Soviet Union at the end of the eighties because it was written in nineteen eighty four. So that's when it becomes. So that's where it starts as an alternate history. Um, generally speaking, in the like twenty, in the late twenty first century of the BattleTech universe, uh, they develop uh, better space flight stuff. They get useful small-scale fusion reactors. They developed what's called the Kearney uh, Fushida Drive, which allows for near-instantaneous, faster-than-light travel. Uh, It has some limitations. Namely, it requires you to... um, Well, namely... Imbibe the spice. No, it doesn't require spice. However, it has about a 30 light-year jump limit. And requires a pretty substantial, like, week-long recharge between jumps. And it can only be operated at jump points, which are naturally occurring and exist uh, typically directly above and below, like, the the polar points of supermassive rotating objects. So, you know, stars, mostly. Although... Some slightly unstable ones exist uh, north and south of large gas giants.
1: But is there truly a north and south in in space? Well, it
0: has to do with the rotation of the object. It mm-hmm. requires. I think it. I think you can probably say that it's the gravitational frame dragging effect from uh, super, from high supermassive things rotating. Um, although I don't think the people writing it, knew about that in the 80s when they came up with the idea. You just get one point above a star and one point below a star. Um, and also, jump ships tend to be giant spindly things that are really only good for jumping between those locations. So you don't fly a ship directly from a planet out to jump and then to another planet. You have instead drop ships. Which are big, big old orbs. Uh, some of them look like big eggs or spheres. Other ones look more like really massive space shuttles. Uh, there are ho- I like the egg shaped ones. Those are the classic ones. Yes, um, drop ships typically are what travel between planets and jump ships. And then the jump ship will take it to another solar system or like the jump ships will t- do routes between a bunch of solar systems and just pick up and drop off dropships in wherever. So a dropship...
1: It's a 31st century equivalent of an intermodal trailer.
0: Yes. uh, The dropships are intermodal trailers that have the ability to go from... to pretty much anywhere within a solar system. Um, With including landing on pretty much anything, it doesn't need an atmosphere. They usually take off and land vertically. Uh, They have fusion drives and the like. Um but so initially humanity uses this interstellar travel thing to rapidly expand out throughout what is about a I want to say 250 year radius 250 light year radius area around earth um where they you know start working on a number of, of like hundreds or thousands of planets that are uh they can colonize and this goes well for a time, for a couple hundred years. Um, the like first ring of planets, like near Earth, get pretty decently um, uh, populated and industrialized, and then the like second set of them is just getting started. And then around I want to say twenty three hundred ish, or like twenty two, the late twenty two hundreds. Uh, There is a massive nuclear war on Earth. Um, No! Possibly again because the Soviet Union hadn't fallen yet. Um, And this has the thing of basically plunging all of the interstellar colonized areas into uh, the shit. Uh, Because they had been colonized not by like a unified Earth, but by various nation states. Those nation states are no longer supporting them. Um,
1: motherland, why can why can we not talk to the motherland? Yeah,
0: uh, Earth and the inner colonies are all kind of cut off. Uh, Earth is devastated. The inner worlds are kind of doing their own thing. And the outer worlds are really struggling because most of the colonies weren't set up to be self-sufficient yet.
1: Um, yeah, that's what you get for being a colonizer. Oh... Uh,
0: Uh, It's at this point that you see that some of them get the great idea of we'll just conquer the worlds around us and, like, once we have a few worlds going, we can, like, that one will do food and that one will mine shit and this one will build shit and we can kind of build a self-sufficient group of worlds. Um, Many colonies have this idea. Eventually, five of them manage to you know, get enough shit going that they kind of develop into what are called the Great Houses. No, uh,
1: you're just doing imperialism again. Yes, it's all,
0: it's imperialism it. all the way down. I'm sorry. Uh, the Great Houses conquer big, giant chunks of the sphere. Um, All kind of, like, they're all kind of taking big chunks of the pie, with the center of the thing being Earth, and the Systems around Earth. Um, Earth does eventually recover along with and kind of builds its own little sphere of influence um, in the center uh, with those rich worlds that it had colonized first. Um, but you get the five great houses, which become incredibly important as they are, you know, weird and interesting, and they tend to do a lot of the stuff that happens later. Um, Whereas the area around Earth becomes the Solarian Hegemony, which is important in a minute. But first, the five great houses. Um, They are interesting because they are not nations... They aren't directly descended from any terrestrial nation state. Um, Because, you know, they, they have multiple worlds that they live on, so... Ethnically, they're all incredibly diverse. Um,
1: we're just doing the, the Alpha Centauri thing again.
0: No, we're not. They're ethnically diverse, but culturally homogenous. Because the one that started the, like, imperialism thing exported their culture to all the worlds they conquered. So, ethnically, anything goes. Culturally, each of the houses has a specific culture and language set that it uses. Um, and I suppose the best example is the Draconis Combine. Uh, Space Japan. They are Space Japan, yes. Uh, they literally drew from the history of feudal Japan, because the core world that like um, started it was Japanese, I believe um but and, and Japanese is the official language although they also speak Arabic and English um so they speak Japanese they use Japanese styled stuff but they are again not ethnically Japanese mostly it, it's a mixture of everything um although the um ruling... House does have a large amount of Japanese people in it. Uh, the Draconis Combine is run by House Kurita, which is sort of the. All of the houses are kind of vaguely feudal, um, and so House Kurita is like the lineage of people who are running this place. Uh, they don't have a um, emperor so much as they have a coordinator. Um, because they are, like, a 1980s understanding of Japan. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I guess that's true. Japan had kind of that weird, vaguely threatening aura in the 80s where everybody thought that Japan was going to, like, steal everybody's jobs.
0: Yep, and for that reason, House Kurita was one of the initial main villains.
1: Boo. In, like, early
0: uh, Battletech stories, House Kurita was oftentimes the villain. Um, the aggressive like high tech but they have all this arm honor and stuff um they do tend to have honor they will charge you with a samurai sword in their mech cool um you know they're they're pretty classic um way
1: to, way to be stereotypes uh company that made the original battlesa yeah
0: yeah uh, the next one of course is the Federated Sons House Davian uh they are sometimes considered the good guys uh they are um they're like a british french monarchy they 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 like knights they they wholly embrace the nobility thing like in that they have actual nobles um, Boo!
1: Rejects. Reject titles of nobility. Yeah, they have
0: titles of nobilities. Uh, feudal. They're very much feudal. England, English, Japan. England and Japan. So they've, English is the official language, although they also speak French. Um, technically, they they are mostly Catholic. <laughs> um, Space Catholicism. Yeah, they've got some Catholicism. They are, however, they butt right up against the Draconis Combine, so they fight them a lot. Um, and they have, uh, yeah, a lot of, you know, inbred idiots beefing over turf when they have internal struggles, (laughs) although they do occasionally have, um, some pretty solid, uh, just internal stuff going on because they, they, they take the absolute monarchy thing pretty solidly. Uh, next, of course, we have the Capellan Confederation. Yay. Um, The Capellans Kapedin- are Space North Korea slash Space China <laughs> slash Space. I mean, you might call them Space Vietnam, but only in that don't try to invade them sort of way. Um, they are primarily like as a group mostly asian inspired uh but a ruthless police state um with like some soviet union style secret police um yeah they they are also generally a lot of times considered to be bad guys they're they don't have a great reputation for anything but backstabbing um, for, of which they're well known for. Um, for my next
1: uh, for my next set of mechs, I'm going to do a complete 180 from being Kenobus to doing uh, Capellans. Compe- yeah,
0: <laughs> it sounds like you. Um, yep. They uh, the the other thing is though they get their shit kicked in a lot um, because they I tend mean, to be that kind of
1: tracks for North Korea. Yeah,
0: they they're squished between. Uh, the Lyran Commonwealth and House Davion. And um, the next group that we're going to talk about who are, you know, also sort of oftentimes seen as good guys. And that is the Free Worlds League of House Merrick. Uh, Ooh, the, freedom. Yeah. Uh, the Free Worlds League is kind of... They're, are they anarcho-capitalists? I wouldn't say anarcho Um, They are a capitalist. They are, on paper, a democracy, although it's run by House Merrick and has been for hundreds of years.
1: Um, Ah, paper democracy. That's not at all uh, relatable.
0: Yeah. It's basically a very strong alliance of a bunch of smaller states that, you know, so internally they do all sorts of weird shit. Um, But the, like, overall federal government handles... A lot of things. Uh, they are incredibly mercantile.
1: Um, uh, so, Space Venice.
0: Uh, more like a. I think Space America, if we were still using the Articles <laughs> of Confederation. Sp America. And, and had a king for some reason. Or a Captain General, I think is the term for it, their leader. Um. Yeah, but they, uh, they're pretty strong, but also uh, loose. Like, so they occasionally have, you have issues with, like, nobles or, like, rich people from there trying to, like, capture a planet from somebody else to be like, hey, we're going to join the Free Worlds League with this. And everyone's like, you can't just start a war.
1: (laughs) Watch me, poor
0: man. Uh, Actually, I guess that makes them a lot like America, huh?
1: yep
0: <laughs> um and the last of the big houses is the Lyran alliance uh which is run by house steiner and it, with a name like house steiner i think you know what language they speak space
1: germans they are the
0: space germans yeah um they are settled and dominant primarily by german germanic and scottish cultures um Sounds fun. Yeah, one of their primary like planets, their main industrial planets, is like Scottish-Irish. Um, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, they are space Germans, but they're the like... Um, the West Germans? No, they're the like pre-World War I Germany.
1: So the Imperialist Germans.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, the Imperialist Germans, but like... They they don't have any of the racial shit going on cuz generally that's not a not as much of a thing when you have massively different ethnicities but everybody's same culture um but they have that incredible industrial base mm. and an incredibly shitty like military command system <laughs> where their their officers are perfectly content to just throw endless waves of their own men into a problem
1: um well yeah how else are you gonna win a war yeah no
0: that that is basically their thing except they also have the ability to militarily outproduce everybody else until they win or until the other guys just give up and go home
1: if they didn't want to get conscripted they would have had the good sense to be born into the
0: aristocracy exactly um and of course just to make things fun they have occasionally had absolutely brilliant military geniuses, who you know, oftentimes get forced out due to politics.
1: Yeah, because that that's fun.
0: Um, one of their the like ongoing BattleTech jokes is the Steiner Scout Lance, um, which is when you send four Atlases in as a scouting party. atlases are a hundred ton mechs being some of the heaviest things you can actually field on the table i mean they aren't the actually heaviest things because there's some very silly extended mechs but they're big and beefy juggernauts
1: that three-legged uh white metal one that i want that's like 80 bucks yeah Uh, i'm pretty sure that's bigger
0: i believe that is 135 tons
1: on a side note, I found a uh, an STL for that one. Uh, the STL itself is only about ten dollars cheaper.
0: <laughs> I mean, you got to charge what in you got to charge. With the
1: STL, I can make as many of them as I want. Though,
0: yes, that is true. Um, so these great houses arose. Uh, the um, Solarian Commonwealth in the middle kind of got their shit together, and then they, while all the how Houses were fighting each other. The Commonwealth kind of got this thing going on and created what they called, I believe, the Solarian League. I want to get this right because it's important.
1: I think it's right. Uh,
0: no, Solarian League. Um, uh, I'm
1: going by my expert oh, knowledge of the no, Battletech no, Prime. Star
0: League. Gotta get simpler.
1: Oh, yep.
0: Uh Solarian League is from a different sci-fi fan. Yeah. Uh they created the Star League, which was basically a giant basically not really Space UN.
1: Um Space NATO.
0: Yeah, more like Space NATO. Uh yeah, and the thing the Terran hegemony was the organization on Earth that was the like Earth based thing. Uh formed the Star League. Basically, the concept was it was a big peace treaty between all the houses and they would hand over a lot of the like warfare stuff to the Terran hegemony and this new group called the Star and their new Star League organization. And this worked well for about 200 well for about 190 ish years. Um, I've heard of, I've heard
1: of this before. Uh concert of something concert of
0: Europe. Yeah. I think that's this it. worked pretty well. Um the towards the end it got not so great. Um the Star League did do some wars against the colonies beyond what is the area known as the inner sphere. Because uh, the, the houses and the Star League was make up what is called the Inner Sphere. And then there is the periphery, which is the area out around the edge, which uh, was generally settled later by people who were dissatisfied with governments of the Inner Sphere. So freedom it tends to be much weirder. And um, much more hard scrabble because they are they didn't have the level of support to start out with and they they tend to be weird separatists or pirates or people who just want you to get the fuck off their property.
1: Come visit Canopus yes uh, insert joke about Kenobin cat girls
0: here and cocaine Canopus cocaine is a joke. Uh, but do not visit the Torian Concordat because they will shoot you. Just, they would. Good to know. That is their thing. Um, yeah. So, the Star League descends into what's called the Amaris Civil War or the Amerian Civil War, um, where basically it's as if the British ambassador was really good friends with the American president, uh, who was also only like 25. And um, <laughs> one day walks into the Oval Office with his bodyguards who are allowed to come in with him because he's such a good friend and then pulls out a gun, this fancy, super nice gun that he's claiming is a birthday gift for the president and shows it to him and then shoots him in the face and declares that he is now the president.
1: Let me show you real close. You gotta get you got to get a good look at the bullets. Yeah,
0: so the ambassador shoots the president in the face, declares he's the new president. Uh, his bodyguard's call in an armored regiment that defeats the Secret Service. Barely. Um, And then he tries to... And then he kind of, like, uses forces loyal to him to seize control of the U.S. while the U.S. military is overseas deployed in the Middle East, essentially.
1: Um, Surprise, we just barely avoided that one.
0: Yeah. In this case, the Star League military responded by doing the equivalent of going to Britain and burning it to the ground first and then coming back and fighting like city by city, house by house through the US to defeat these people. Um, Only to reach Washington DC and learn that oh, the president's dead. Everyone who was in Congress is dead. Uh, The Supreme Court, no, they're dead. Like the entire Star League government was basically destroyed except for the military and the great houses are out there like yes there's no more Star League huh I guess we'll just what get back to doing what we were doing before um which leads to the remnants of the military deciding that they don't want to be involved with another goddamn civil war and leaving They they just I'm out ...take all their ships and fuck off into the periphery. Uh, Which comes back later. Um, Also, like the last bureaucrat of the Star League... ...gets put in charge of the communications infrastructure... ...and turns it into Comstar, which is the phone company. (laughs) They are the only source of faster than light communications. And also they run the banks in a lot of cases... ...and they certify the mercenaries... And maybe giving one organization all that power is a bad idea. But no. Yeah. No, I, I've. I when I called my mom, she said it was a great idea, and also that people I in mean, white mechs kept showing up and like looking at her.
1: I mean, do you really want Comcast running your bank?
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, Comstar is a fun, fun bit. They're they're a fun player. Um. A few hundred years pass and there is a series of civil wars as all the uh, what's called the succession wars as all the various great houses try to completely duke it out and see who is the best great house. And it ends up being a stalemate and they keep nuking their facilities that build new mechs. Um, so their technology actually declines from what it was in the Star League and the Star League era stuff is known as lost tech. Um, and then the forces that had left and, like, fucked off outside the periphery turn into the clans, which are a weird group of, um, quasi-military caste system warrior With very culture, 80s-ass names. With very 80s-ass names and logos, um and the stated goal of restoring the Star League. Um, which eventually, around 3050-ish, they come kicking in the door and uh, wrecking shit and trying to drive to Earth to rebuild the Star League. Um, oh, they seem yeah! to have the idea that if one of their clans can get to Earth and declare themselves the new Star League, uh, all the other Great Houses and other clans will have to obey them. Like it's a giant so intergalactic we're, game we're of King playing, of the Hill. I
1: was going to say we're playing by uh, uh, Boshin war rules.
0: Yeah. Um, and this does not... Like, like they do well initially because well the sphere has been losing technology for 250 years and the clans have been really good about developing new technology and like 1v1 they are better trained, better armed, better equipped, better like tactically than almost any person from the inner sphere um but also they're vastly outnumbered so it goes well initially and then they get challenged to a duel by comstar who pulls out all of these stuff that they had stashed away that is still good technology because they kept care of it? And uh, in thirty fifty two, the clans lose. And part of the agreement was that if they lost, they uh, had to wait fifteen years before attacking further into the inner sphere. And so they kind of stall out.
1: Um, Sorry, you gotta you gotta wait for the uh, mandatory treaty period.
0: Well, it has to do with the whole warrior honor culture thing. Comstar actually studied their enemy and figured out that if they could, like, make a deal and intended to honor it, the clans would have to do it as well because honor was the big thing. Um, So they pulled that off. Um, The Battle of Tharkad. Uh, Sorry, the Battle of Turkey Tharkat is the homeworld of the wealth. Um The Battle of something. Battle of Turkiid. 3052. Um, yeah. And then... There's a bunch of stuff after that. Though most people kind of... Ignore it a bit. Because it... The timeline I just discussed is like where most of the interesting stuff happens. Traditionally, most... Uh, players do things in the Succession Wars era through to the clan invasion era. Um, there is further things, uh, the Blakian Jihad, the Dark Age, the Ill Clan, um, all of this happens after the clan invasion. Uh, it's somewhat contentious and it gets weird, um part of Comstar splinters off and decides to get super religious and then decides to nuke everybody. Um, eventually the lore of Battletech like,
1: makes Game of Thrones and 40k look like a joke. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> and part of this is that they do something that breaks all of the traditional faster than light communication systems. So you then have Oops. like 100, like I think like 80-ish years of very short-range, faster-than-light communications, like one system to another as the best thing you've got.
1: Looks like somebody forgot to program their router. Yeah,
0: um... Which leads to... I mean, they don't really have a lot of technological backsliding in this era, because they're not doing as much blatant all-out war. But it is sort of, like, low-scale. Everyone's invading each other. Um, And then the Ill Clan era, where... um, well, the clans finally get their shit together and capture Terra. And and conquer Earth and now they they actually have it. And now Game Clan R. Wolf has conquered Earth and declared the, themselves the new Star League. Um but also some of the clans aren't really interested in conquering Earth anymore. Uh Ghost Bear Clan Ghost Bear decided to just like unify with the local people they had already conquered and let them be a democracy again. Uh, except for the warriors would still be the the clan guys. They're like, oh, w- we just want to do the warrior shit. You guys can actually run everything else.
1: But, so but we're space the military. I,
0: I don't know if it's Space Samurai because we already have those. Um. But yeah, it, it's a weird setup. There, and there are... One of the things that's really interesting about Battletech is just how many factions there are and how many options there are for, like, who do you want to play as. Um, It's the kind of thing you get when you have more than 100 novels in a setting. And uh, rule books discussing, like, campaigns and mercenary companies and this and that written since the 80s. And a whole bunch of video games because we haven't even talked about the video games. Uh, usually under the usually made under the uh, title Mech Warrior, uh, up to the current Mech Warrior Online, which is one of the MMORPGs that kind of is still around. Um, I haven't played it,
1: but I'm curious. I haven't
0: played it. Uh, I think the straight up BattleTech game might be more your speed because that is. Almost a direct it's, port of the tabletop game.
1: Yeah, it's in it's in my Steam wish list, um, but I need to upgrade my computer before I can play that one. I was really excited when I saw that it was coming out, and I was like, "Oh, my computer can't run it."
0: Yeah, there is some heavy some heavy mods exist for that that allow you to do all sorts of things. Um, apparently, including one that simulates the entire galaxy. Cool. And every planet, and every, and pretty much every faction. And
1: you know and, me; I love games that consume the entirety of my life. Yeah.
0: Um, and then, of course, there's a few other varieties of that. Uh, yeah. So uh, there are a bunch of games. There was a card game in the '90s which we played.
1: That's how we got into it, or at least that's how I got into it. I don't know about you.
0: Uh, yeah, no, that, and I read some books in the '90s. Um, the and uh, Legend of the Jade Phoenix Trilogy, which is a clan book series. Um, but, and we played uh,
1: the card game somewhat recently, within the last year. Yeah. And it still holds up pretty well. It's kind of like Magic with more rules, because I think Richard Garfield also designed Battle. It, yep,
0: it was another Richard Garfield one after he had done Magic. Uh, it was published by Wizards of the Coast. It's uh, worth a look. It, it's a little clunkier. Um
1: the, it's got really good art. That's one thing that I remember it from, yes. from when I was younger. The art is really awesome.
0: Yes, that was one of the really solid eras of Battletech art. Uh, it was right then and the, there in that sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Um, some of the 80s art is really hilarious. And not in a good way. Uh, some Oof. of it looked... Because it was all black and white for rule books and not sufficiently high budget compared to what we'd see now. And um, some of it looks like somebody was drawing a DD art and just kind of repurposed it by giving somebody a gun. <laughs> I, I am not joking. That's fine. There is some hilariously bad art in the, like, 80s rule books. Um, but yeah, so the current... Games that are played with Battletech, the miniatures games, there are two basic varieties. The first one is just Battletech, and that's the hex t- grid with miniatures one that we've been talking about that is kind of unchanged since the 80s. Um, I mean, there are newer rule books, but mostly that's just to uh, systematize the rules a little and keep everything in one place. Um, it's very old school as a game. It runs quite yep. slowly, even if you know what you're doing. Um,
1: but even like with it running slowly, it feels thematic because a battle between gigantic robots is not going to happen fast. It's going to be like the thirty first century century equivalent of a tank duel.
0: Yeah, and also going to be slow and heavy. And also like can, as we kind of mentioned, like the technology. They seem to be in an era where armor has outpaced weaponry. Um, there are no, like, one-hit-kill weapons, generally speaking. Um, unlike right now, where a heavy tank gun is going to punch through any existing armor. Right? Um, For the most part. In, like, in modern warfare, uh, 120 millimeter anti tank round um fired from like a leopard two or whatever is going to hard kill just about anything <laughs> in one uh, shot.
1: See our episode on the Ukrainian war yes for well, further analysis. See somebody
0: talking about the Ukrainian war for further analysis. A the a modern tank gun will kill any other tank at the range in which it can hit them. Um in Battletech it's kind of the opposite. No matter what gun you're using, it is incredibly unlikely that you kill somebody in one shot, even if they're a very weak mech. So it's a matter of hitting them repeatedly as their giant robots, like, b- duke it out and just brawl for a while.
1: Um, I mean, even your penetrator couldn't disintegrate my Firefly in one hit as much as they tried. Yeah, I
0: couldn't I couldn't get a bead on your locust. Was the real issue? Oh, wait, there. it
1: was... Oh, yeah, it was a locust, not a firefly.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the other variant of the game is Alpha Strike, which is a non-hex grid-based... Uh, it, it's more like a traditional miniatures, like, squad-level game um, that is much simplified. Uh it uses terrain, uses a map. Uh, it uses more like a just area with terrain, so you can put buildings and stuff in there if you want. And, you know, it just has a number of inches that things can move and some very simplified rules. Um, And that's more
1: like your modern war game. Yeah.
0: And it allows you to play with a lot more models. Um, It's pretty easy to have like uh, 12 models on the field or more um, in a single game of 12 models per side for that. Um, And,. Both of these games are in print, and you can find the boxes of them at local game stores or online. Um, and they are constantly coming out with new packs for these. They did a just had a massive Kickstarter for the Mercenaries line of new mechs, uh, which is to bring some of the famous mercenary companies uh, in with new plastic models. Yeehaw! Um, which you know that sounds great to me, right? Love plastic models.
1: Yeah, plastic's good. Uh, I've been looking at some of the uh, white metal ones that you can get from, like, Iron Wind Miniatures because the, all the box sets, they give you, like, coupons for, 20, for 20% for twenty off an order, which is good because those metal models are still hella expensive for what they are.
0: Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's some, you know, the, the new plastics do give us the boxes of four urban mechs yes Um, my metal boy yes the urban mech is a teeny tiny mech that's kind of chunky looking and also very slow and just generally not very good
1: and objectively the best mech.
0: yes but objectively the best mech um you know it's the it's the mech equivalent of magic arc (laughs) i'm not wrong am i
1: um maybe i think maybe wobbuffet would be a more accurate comparison Mm. i know magikarp's kind of like a mascot character but i don't know how popular magikarp actually is anymore
0: i mean it's recognizable and so are urban mechs so i'm doing that yeah um i'll allow it yeah so that's that's kind of that uh, I will say that uh, Battletech is really good about letting you invent your own whatever. Um, if you want to come up with a new mercenary company, great. Do it. That Paint your guys however you want. If you want to proxy miniatures, sounds like fun. Proxy away. Like kit bash your own stuff. Uh, 3D print them. Sure, why not? Sounds great. We don't have bottles there's, for everything. They're
1: so so much 3d printable stuff out there yes
0: uh the, the video games have helped with that um as has the fact that uh there was a time that they've had some weirdness with licenses uh like i said they were the game was invented by fafsa and then in 2001 acquired by whiz kids and then later whiz kids got acquired by tops which the the, the the like athletic cards the baseball people they make baseball cards um, yep. and then licensed to catalyst games, who are the ones who publish it now. Um, so there have been times where it was kind of on the back burner and didn't have much new getting made for it. And so uh, fans making 3D printable models kept it going. And yeah, it's it's a really interesting setting. It's got some great lore. it's I'm not gonna say that the gameplay itself is great. Um,
1: It very much feels like an artifact of a style of gameplay that has fallen out of favor. Yes, Because uh, we live in the future, and we know better, and we just know how to make better games. Yeah, it's still Um,
0: fun, but it's very clunky, and a lot could be done to clean it up and create a new edition. But the decision not to do that is something that's actually kind of interesting and kind of i think good because the the people making and publishing the game have basically decided that no we're just going to keep using this existing thing and just make stuff for that and so there's not going to be a second edition that invalidates your existing stuff there's not going to be like balance changes or whatever You just get to keep doing what you're doing and we're just going to add more stuff further along the timeline so that you can do future mechs. Or mechs with plasma cannons. Or whatever.
1: Yeah, like, I I can't really think of anything that specifically needs to change about the game. It works perfectly well the way it does and it goes for a very specific feel of how that combat is supposed to work. Um, Alpha Strike might be, you know, the the next best way of bringing it into the modern age of game design. Yep. But as is, it's perfectly serviceable. And
0: I will say, um, Alpha Strike has basically the same models. And when you buy packs of the models, it, they come with the cards for use in Alpha Strike and, you know, the models for use in either game.
1: Yep. So... I think like the only thing that I would change is that visually it feels kind of bland because you're just, you have your 3D mechs on your paper map and that's kind of it. Um,
0: uh, Gale Force but 9 that's really... just came out with a range of hex grid Battletech scale mini terrain. Awesome. Um, including hills, yeah, that's the only and uh, like one other thing. Uh, mo- like that's roads. like the
1: only thing that I would change but it's just kind of up to your individual ingenuity as far as you know how much work do you want to put into making terrain and such yep yeah. yep so BattleTech play BattleTech
0: try it play it uh the the basic like get started box um there are some that are available for very cheap you can get started for like 25 bucks if you buy the Quick Start or, like, Essentials box that's at Target right now. Yep. Or, like, $30 if you buy the uh, Quick Start box that you'll find at a game store. Um, do it. Do it now. And that has enough to, like, teach you the basics of the game. And... That's Battletech. We have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, where we talk about a board game that we've played or thought about or whatever. Uh, This week, it is Control, the card game. Control is a game for two players or four players. Not two to four, but two or four because it needs an even number. Uh, Where, essentially, you play a sequence of cards that have values and your goal is to get 21. Um, The thing is, of course, that The cards come in kind of two sets. Some are lower value and some are higher value. Uh, The maximum any card is is 10. And they have abilities, many of which involve things like getting rid of your opponent's cards. So it becomes kind of a strategy of how do I get enough stuff on the field to win with my next move while also preventing my opponent from doing the same thing. Um, And there's a lot of, like, what can I chain together? What sort of abilities synchronize with each other? What do I have that is perfect to defend with? Or what do I have that I can use to score with? And the different ways in which cards interact makes it an interesting experience. Um, I'd say for a two-player game... It is quite solid and has enough strategic depth to play, if you know, on a fairly regular basis. Um, also, each player has yes, their own on. deck, and in the two-player mode, so that you know how many cards you have and getting rid of them. You know, you also know how many cards your opponent has. You you you're not going to get as good screwed to me. over by. Them drawing the card that you needed. Um, So, yeah, I would recommend it. It's also incredibly cheap. It's just a little card game. Uh, I've seen it for like $10 to $15.
1: We stand inexpensive games.
0: Yes, we do. And that's our show, as always. Uh, Do support your local game store, Uh, avoid Florida. Um, follow us on social media, Instagram primarily. Um, I haven't been on Twitter in a while and I don't think I'm going back. Uh, you can visit our website, knollcountry.com. And you can do Yes,
1: the, the website which I knew existed. And you can
0: do the things Ed's going to tell you to do.
1: Oh, you can follow me on Instagram at Uh, You'll see some of my Battletech stuff there along with... Uh, Updates on Blood Bowl and how that's going. Uh, you can donate to your local queer charities, your bail funds, reproductive justice funds. Uh, go visit some drag shows and have a good time. Um, bully your local Nazis out of the hobby. Um, don't talk to the cops or Clan Jade Falcon. Uh, and go Knowles. Go Knowles. Go, Knowles!